You know, uh, I have a friend, Oded, who was raised on a kibbutz in Israel. Uh, you know, kind of an atheistic collective they had, you know, a um, little like almost ideal communities. But when they would come to 13, they'd have more mitzvah, which is kind of traditional in uh, Judaism, even though they were atheists. But they had them do many things over the course of a year. For instance, they learned traditional prayers and songs, had Judaism class with the rabbi, which you might expect. But they also learned first aid. They actually interviewed family as far back as possible. Parents, grandparents, write their history of their whole family. They'd learn about different groups living in Israel, and they'd break up into groups of three and four and actually live in those places for three or four days. They did a field trip to Jerusalem for a week. They'd pick an area of study and report on it. Oded studied the rodents and small animals that inhabited the area around the kibbutz. They, um, they did a desert journey. They had to navigate from one camping spot to the next with no adults, you know, learning navigation, carrying themselves out in the wilderness there. Uh, they served a meal for the kibbutz. They built a gift for the kibbutz. So, you know, they had a bravery show with ropes jumping back and forth between them, sliding down. They actually had a massive fire as well, he said. They had a drama where they were trained by professional in drama and song, and each wrote a skit and performed it. Um, and there are actually even more things than that. But it was over the whole course of a year. And so every kid who grew up in the kibbutz, kibbutz knew that was coming. Knowing this, comp- this year would come when they would do, you know, think this whole like this massive rite of passage. What was the purpose of all that? Every kid knew that on the other side of all these rites, that the nature of their responsibilities that were going to be asked of them within that community was going to change. The nature of their authority was going to change. They would become essentially like young adults in the midst of it. And that's really what rites of passage do. This confirmation is a rite of passage in the church, right? Where in a sense you're going from a, uh, you know, a faith where you're your parents' faith to saying, what do I really believe? And what do I, what do I understand? Is this really where I stand? You know, I had a friend who, um, it's actually some years ago now, and uh, he, had, he was, actually we knew her better than him, but uh, they were married, had a couple little kids, and suddenly he goes into a faith crisis. And he goes, I don't even know if I believe any of this stuff. I don't know if I want to go to church. I don't know if I want to raise my family in church. And as he reflects back on it, he realizes that he actually basically said, I had the faith of a 10-year-old. I mean, my wife thought it was a bait and swift switch because I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus and we're going to have a Christian family. And he realized that he had actually never really thought about his faith. He just done what you're supposed to do. You, know, you come to church, you say it, you do it, you go through the thing, and he thought that's all there was. And then suddenly he gets to adult and realizes, wait, what do I really think? You know, what do I really believe? How do I really want to live my life? And then he threw himself, he threw his family, he threw his marriage, everything into was like, you know, it was a massive kettling crisis until he came to the end of it. And, and he never, obviously never went through confirmation. You know, he never had a time when it was appropriate to ask these questions, appropriate to be challenged to think about it. And as a result, it created chaos in his life. That's one of the points of rites of passage of all kinds, is they help you move through life. They help you understand what's coming. And I think we're in a culture now that we've kind of lost many rites of passage uh, as a result. And a lot of it's multiculturalism, right? In monoculture, it's easier to keep your rights and keep your flow of life going like this. But when you go into a multicultural world, lots of rights just get lost. And as a result, life itself becomes confusing and unsettling. So what I want to talk about today is why rites of passage matter. And why they really make a difference to move you through life. And why I think you should adopt a culture of this kind of idea of being thoughtful about how you're moving through life.
And I think it's a spiritual discipline. Not just something you do out here that's actually a really important way in which we relate to God, we relate to community, and we go through life. For our text, I'm going to take a look at um, 2 Timothy 4. And we're just going to kind of start here because I think there's a right in a sense. This is Paul at the end of his life. And, um, you know, he realizes he's, you know, his death is near. This is the last thing he writes. And he's looking at Timothy, who was a young guy who came alongside of him. You know, who he mentored, who he sent out to different churches to try to strengthen them. And now in these last words, in many ways, he's passing on to Timothy. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's now in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And he realizes, I'm now passing on to you, Timothy, the time for the torch to pass. And he makes this charge to Timothy. He goes, you now, you've been, under, you've been you know, mentored by me. You've stood with me. You've done it. But now I am going to die. I'm going to pass. And you need to take this torch now and stand up and lead. And he charges him. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's saying, now I charge you. We're going to go forward. This is, this is, what you're, this is what's going to be needed of you as a leader. I'm not there to try to help you right there. You need to take hold of this. And he even says you know, to him, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. This is not a boast from Paul. This is Paul looking back on his life and challenging Timothy to do the same. Now, I think many of us, have, have you seen places where leaders have not been able to hand off the torch to the next person? This is in work, it's in school, when they don't realize that when their time has come, when their season of leadership has stopped, has, is coming to an end, and then they need to transition the next person in. We've seen it when it doesn't work right, and what happens? It leads to chaos, doesn't it? Oftentimes. Actually, I was thinking historically of uh, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? Uh, he was great president. Remember in his fourth term, he died almost shortly into his fourth term, and suddenly Harry Truman was president. I mean, he... It's, it's a mystery historically why FDR, who could give his life and care so much about our country, didn't prepare whatsoever for his death. Even as bad a health as he was when he was running through that fourth time, he had nothing. You would think, oh man, he's really concerned about his vice president. He was indifferent to the entire selection process. In fact, it was, a, it was an inter-party chaos in which all the qualified people, they couldn't agree on, so they took some hick named Harry Truman, who was thoroughly unqualified, who had just done some kind of crazy thing and they said, fine, put Harry in there. And FDR didn't even care. And then here he is dying in the middle of World War II, at the end, near, near the end of World War II, this critical time. And he didn't bring Harry Truman in for one thing. Harry had no clue was gone, no international experience, nothing. And suddenly FDR is dead. Harry, you're the president. Wow. You know, if Harry had spectacularly uh, uh, failed, no one could blame him. Now, as it was by God's grace, I think Harry did a pretty amazing job. And everyone should have an incredible respect for the grace of that moment that he took hold of this. But it was not by... It was, 
It, FDR did not hand off. He did not do that right. He did not realize that now is the time for me to go and for the next thing to happen. See, what happens with rites of passage helps you avoid that chaos of life. Now, three things that are always in rites of passage. They do three things generally. Go ahead and mark off things. They mark off, they define, and they actualize. So by mark off, it means, you know, the time before and the time after. It marks it off. It defines what is this change going to mean, and it actualizes it. Meaning a good rite of passage actually, kind of like with the, uh, the confirmation, it actualized in the sense that they actually, in a sense, taught us the Apostles' Creed. You know, they played the role of an adult speaking to us in the sense it actualized. It actualized in the sense of the symbolism. So let me give you an example, like at a wedding, right? A wedding, you go in as single people, you come out the other side as married people. It marks it off. It helps define it. What does it mean to be married? You know, it, it means that you will love and cherish this person. There's no ifs when there. It's unconditional. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live. That is what marriage is. And it's actualized in that you actually become this new entity within your community. Right? You're no longer single people out there. You are this married couple in the community of your families. You're now relating to both these families that are now connected because you are married. You know, where the, that family says, now, wow, that is, you know, that they may be your daughter, but now I'm your son. Because I've now been married into that. And it all gets actualized in the moment of that wedding. Now, that is opposed to living together, which doesn't work so well. For many of these reasons, it's not really a rite of passage. It marks it off, right? Because now you're living together, but you have no definition as to what you're doing or why you're doing it. Is this in preparation for marriage? Is this not? How long does this go? Is this conditional? Is this unconditional? What's actually happening this? So it's fraught with insecurity, fraught with uncertainty. It actualizes, what about your relation to the family? You don't even know. Am I, am I now a child? Am I now your son? Am I not your son? Are you guys my brothers or brothers-in-law? How do I relate to this whole family? What's going on with that? How do these families relate to one another? There's no definition. There's only chaos. And I can tell you how many times you see these couples where one person thinks they did this because they think they're getting married. We're just doing this for six months until we get married. The other person doesn't, never wants to get married or never thinks about it. Because you never have to sit down and define what is it we're doing and why. So what do you end up with? A bunch of people who are many marriages and many divorces, right? A big mess. Relational mess which we have in our country. Even people get married now don't know why they're getting married. It's not even defined. So it just ends up being this giant mess. And I'm sorry, I'm on a soapbox. Um, but, you know, it's my job. I, I thought about that. I was going to apologize on a soapbox. I so, hold on, that's what I'm supposed to do. So, endure. Um, you know, the soapbox. But it's why, it's, it's, it's why it's complete chaos. But let's take another one, less chaotic. Funerals. Another classic rite, right? A funeral rite marks off that, that, that we no longer have this person in our life, Right? With now, we mark off this moment that we don't have them anymore. It defines it in the sense that, what just happened to us? How we don't have this person? What do our new lives look like without this person? And an important thing is, who, what is it I'm feeling right now? When we talk about the person, that's why eulogies are so important. And people getting up there and talking about the person is so important. Because you, have, you start to understand the hole in your heart you have. And what it is I'm missing. And, and, um, and that's what's interesting, too, is you, if you ever go to a, a funeral where people talk about the person and you're like, I don't know who they're talking about. Because they're so positive and so listening, they're not, it's not even describing this person anymore. And you walk off realizing you actually haven't helped transition to the new life. The right itself hasn't helped you in the grieving process the way it could. 
you know, because it hasn't really filled that shape. It was interesting, my mom, you know, mom died when I was 23, and I don't want to get it, my, my mom was a wreck, you know, really broken person, I never even really met her sober. And, um, but when she was dying, it felt like everyone had to be positive and talk about all these wonderful things. And I realized I struggled so much, it wasn't really until six months later that I got really angry. I said, how could you do this to your kids? It wasn't then that I could then forgive her. Then I could come to understand the brokenness and the different things in her life. But it took, it took a definition of things to be able to work you through. And that's one thing rites help you with, not just funeral, but any kind of rites. And it actualizes it in the sense, um, uh, funerals, because you are now present as a community without that person. Like, when's the, if people have had people you love die, do you know when it hurts the most or when you think about it the most? It's when you're gathered, like at a holiday or a time when they should be present, but they're not. That's when you feel it uniquely. So a funeral actually does that. And you, and you that person's not here. They're not playing that role they would normally play. And I feel it. Birthrights. You know, actually, you know, I, I, just, I'm going too long. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I totally like baptisms and uh, that the ECC does both. But... You know, that we, uh, but that's a, that's a lost thing in our culture, right? Birthrights. And I even think in the church, they're not nearly as robust as they should. Think about how crazy it is in life when a person is born. Everything changes. Reality has shifted. A new person is here. And, and, and if, you're, if you have a child, your life has now changed forever. You know, you are, I know, we underestimate it. It's crazy. People are having these little things all over the place, you know? I mean, everything about your life's radically changed. You're now related to this person for the rest of your life, not for six months, four months, not like a contract, forever. You know, they're yours. Your, every sibling relationship has changed. Your marriage has changed. Your relationship to work has changed. You know, some it should help prepare us for this new life. You can go ahead and know Andy. I mean, we need to understand we're transitioning into this season. Let a lot of people... Um, do you notice that some people don't understand how their work life changes when a new person is born into their life? And they frustrate that their marriage isn't the way it was, or their, their work, they don't have as much time, or they're tired, and they can't do these things, or have all these new responsibilities at home, or the, your relationship to the other siblings isn't the same. This is what happens in a new life. And a rite of passage should help define that and understand it and prepare you to move into it. You know, it used to be like in homogenous whole communities, you could do that far better. And I'm going to argue that all key junctures of life should have this. And I'm just going to try to run through this list quick. Like last week, we did first grade Bibles, right? Let me say that that's a, a rite of passage. It was in the sense that now your children read. So how are you going to have them, how are you going to relate to them with the Bible? Actually, we force the parents to define their own faith to their children, holding scriptures and thinking about it. You know, hit another one. New job, leaving old job. People don't know how to leave things anymore, right? This, oh, gosh. People peace out. Oh, man, that makes me mad. You know what that means? I mean, just to bail out without saying anything to anyone. Leave churches, leave jobs, you feel uncomfortable with it. Man, you have dishonored all your memories and all your community as a result. You know, you should, when you're going to leave a job, when you leave anything, you do it recognizing that, man, look at the blessings that happened while I was here. The blessing of our time together was real. Here's what was accomplished. You, you take those moments and you want the blessing on them. They want to ask blessing on each other. And you now prepare to move into this new season. You set it apart. You know, never just walk out the door of a community when you move. Never walk out the door of your job like nothing. No, you take a moment and you transition. 
Otherwise, you'll be filled with, again, insecurities that everybody else is going to do. I mean, it's amazing how much lack of trust we have now when our social contract of work has been almost destroyed these days. Right? You can't trust your employers. Your employers can't trust you. This is a breaking of social contract. It's an inability to do these rites of passage and pass through life. I'm really on a soapbox. This is great. <laughs> new house. <clears throat> you know, when people have, like, a new house, um, it was interesting. I don't know if Honors and Carolina are here. Like, they bought a new house, and they uh, say, hey, let's come over. They want us to come over and bless it. We had some friends. We all came over and blessed the house. But it was a, it was a really important thing. Because you realize this is a new stage in your life. Something radically has changed with this new home. And part of it was going through there and saying, how is our life going to change through here? So we're praying through it. What do we want this guest room to be? We want our house to be a house of hospitality. When, when someone is, everyone is invited to come in there, and when they lay in this bed, they feel the rest of God, that they feel loved and accepted in a unique way. We want to be a home which opens our lives, and we're not, we don't want to be a life like this. We want a life like that. And it, it makes us define what is this new life going to look like? How do we want it to be? And asking God to do it. You think about key anniversaries and birthdays, the same kind of thing. You know, when you celebrate a 50th birthday with just a birthday cake, you don't do it. By the way, it is Jay's 50th birthday. But, uh, actually, today. Today. And, uh, but the idea is we don't want just a birthday cake. Hey, isn't that neat? That's great marking off. But you want to help define someone's life. What has happened here? I think it's so much great when people get up there and you honor the person. You say who this person is, what they've meant to you, how they've lived. And that helps that person realize now, man, my days ahead are shorter than my days behind. And I need to think about this new life and think about this new season. Think about the gifts and the honor. Be thankful for that and push forward. Taking these key junctures in life. You know, community transitions. You know, Kim's leaving, right? We can just like, you know, from her position, she's not leaving our community. This we're going to have like a... You know, a time next month where we have like a reception. Why? It's not just to say thanks to Kim, which we will. But it's also, it's helpful for us as a community to recognize what was that season while she served as a director of children's ministry. What did that mean to me? It helps honor her. It helps prepare us for the next season as well. Recognizing in life, there's millions of these junctures. And and, and in a multicultural world, unfortunately, we have to build these junctures ourselves. To take those moments of, of new jobs, of new seasons, of, new, uh, of, of, of things, when things change. Take moments to stop and ask, what's actually happening? What do we hope to? How do I define this thing? Because it helps you to move through life. When you don't do this, it just you have moments of chaos instead. You go from, you know, I didn't realize this was happening. I didn't realize this was happening in my relationship. I don't know the expectations of my life right now. It helps stop all that. Now, part of me, when I was thinking about this message, is going, oh, well, that seems so like, you know, what does that have to do with God? But actually, do you notice that every one of those junctures, what are you doing? You're giving thanks to God. You're recognizing all the blessings that happened back there. You're stopping to really ask yourself, what is forward? What does really God have for my life looking forward? And you're praying and saying, God, please bless and help these things to happen. Lord, I entreat you now for this next season I'm moving into. And we acknowledge our weakness and we lay it out before you and say, God, may your will be done in my life. So let me encourage us. Make rights, make moments in your life. Stop, ask what they are. Don't let life happen to you. You go forth and walk that life God has laid out for us. Take hold of that to which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you and thank you, Lord.
Thank you for your abundant goodness, Lord. Thank you for your incredible blessings. Thank you for the life we have that you've sustained us and you've brought us to this season. Thank you for these youth today and the way you are pulling them through life. Oh, God, help us all to be able to sit and see our lives, to step back from the chaos that is this culture we live in, to be able to stop, give thanks, and understand the kind of lives you've called us to. We praise you, Lord, in the name of Jesus.